Hi, and thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to our latest National Governors Association School Leadership Hot Topics podcast. I'm Seth Gerson, Program Director for K-12 Education at NGA. And today I have the honor of interviewing nationally recognized school leadership expert, Dr. Steve Tozer of the University of Illinois, Chicago, on state strategies for developing and supporting principals and school leaders. Today we'll hear, among other topics, Dr. Tozer's insights on how governors and states can improve principal preparation and development, lessons learned from his work in Illinois and nationally to develop effective principals and school leaders, and an overview of current models of innovative principal preparation programs across the country. Please note that we recently recorded and released five other webinars and podcasts on school leadership, including with new leaders, the Learning Policy Institute, nationally recognized school leadership expert, Dr. Jackie Wilson, and Governor's Education Policy Advisors and Education State Chiefs from Delaware, Louisiana, and Tennessee. You can find these webinars and podcasts at the NGA Education webpage on the NGA website. We plan to release four more school leadership podcasts over the next month. Please look out for our next podcast with Devin Scott, the Education Commission of the States to be released in the coming weeks. These podcasts are supported by and in partnership with the Wallace Foundation. The Wallace Foundation works to support principal and school leader preparation, development, and support across the country. Their Wallace Knowledge Center has multiple resources, tools, and reports on state strategies for school leadership, including Wallace's new report outlining the impact of effective principal pipelines on student achievement. You can find these resources at wallacefoundation.org or through a direct link on our NGA Education webpage. All right, well, let's dive right into the conversation. Dr. Tozer, so great to have you with us today. Can you talk to us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, I graduated with a, um, a liberal arts uh, degree from my undergraduate and uh, immediately got involved in the early childhood community in uptown Chicago and started a full day, full year kindergarten uh, for kids in uptown. Eventually, that gravitated toward my using my secondary teacher ed certificate and becoming and opening an alternative school uh, for Cook County kids that got mixed up in the court system. Um, uh, went back to uh, graduate school, did a master's degree in early childhood and a doctorate in, uh, in philosophy of education. I got very much involved in teacher education at University of Illinois Urbana, and my own research agenda focused on uh, the social sources or social foundations of educational inequity in public schools. Uh, about 18 years ago, I began focusing on doing something significant about it and um, uh, turned toward school leader development because the research had become clear by that point that a strong school leader could dramatically improve student learning outcomes, uh, even in uh, the most struggling of neighborhoods if that school leader had the right kind of skill set and the right kind of commitment. So for the last 18 years, I've been focusing on school leader preparation and development. Thanks, Dr. Tozer. And you mentioned about the, the research on the impact of a principal. Can you talk a little bit about the, the research base? Why are principals so critical to student, teacher, and school success? How have you seen the role of the principal evolve over time? The principal's role has evolved significantly, and it's, that evolution has accelerated over the last two decades, last 20 years. My father was a, a middle school principal, and, and after I started getting involved in this kind of work, he, he liked to say, nobody really expected me to improve student outcomes in my school. 
um, that wasn't part of the of the principal's charge. Oddly enough, um, the principal was to take care of another other a number of other management, operations, and personnel matters. But principals were not really held accountable for the student learning outcomes in the schools. And today, that's changed dramatically, and it's changed largely because the last 35 years of research have demonstrated. Um, uh, that uh, that principals can have a profound impact on everything from student levels of learning and mathematics skills uh, to um, uh, to graduation rates and post-secondary success. Um, the the research is often cited as follows. People like to cite Leithwood and others saying um, that the principal show, uh, is proven to be the second most important in-school influence on student learning outcomes. But the truth is that underestimates the power of the principal because the reason that that statistical outcome is what it is, is that the quality of classroom instruction is the single most influential immediate variable that affects student learning outcomes. The trouble is you can't get wall to wall outstanding instruction in a school without strong leadership. We just don't have any examples of that, uh, particularly in lower income neighborhoods. And so the idea that you have to have a strong school leadership in order to get a school-wide culture of outstanding instruction um, tells us that in order to have the single most important thing, namely high quality instruction, you have to have the second most important thing, which sort of elevates its importance significantly. Principals have a profound impact on the quality of student learning outcomes in schools by leading vision, by leading people, and leading systems within the school. That is to say, by setting out a vision for how a school can be dramatically better, what principals can do is to develop the systems within the school to help the teachers and other personnel within the school become the kind of educators that students need in order to achieve improved learning outcomes. So school principals we now know affect everything from what teachers get hired to how teachers develop once they are hired, to whether they stay in the building or not. Principles affect the culture and the climate of the school as well as the quality of instruction in the school. So yeah, principles as these force multipliers for student and school and uh, educator success, I hear you saying, and uh, you know, I really like the way you were able to provide that, that background information. Moving a little bit to your recent work on principals and school leaders, can you talk to us a little bit about what your focus has been and what the implications of that work are for uh, governors and state policymakers? What we've really been focusing on at UIC for the last 17 or 18 years is understanding the continuum of principal development from pre-service preparation through the early career supports. So the recent focus of our work is increasingly on how do we support principals from the preparation stages um, when they're just trying to get their license into the early career stages so that they um, become the kinds of principals who stay and continue to develop a climate of continuous improvement within their schools. Um, the implications of this kind of work um, on the one hand um, have to do with, uh, or they point toward the fact that higher ed can do a much better job um, preparing and developing principals if we develop partnerships with school districts for this entire continuum, starting with the selection and the development of the candidates in the licensure phase, 
um, uh, who, will, who are most likely to demonstrate impact on student learning in the preschool through grade 12 years later on. Um, in Chicago, for example, that partnership enabled us to develop a full year, fully paid principal residency for the last 17 years. No principal who goes through our program um, uh, can go through it without going through a full year, fully paid, full-time leadership role um, where they are mentored by an excellent principal. This kind of partnership has also enabled Chicago Public Schools uh, to develop its own eligibility assessments that are over and above the state license. That is to say, just because you have a, a state of Illinois principal certificate doesn't mean that you can necessarily be a principal in Chicago because you've got to pass a higher bar. And in fact, over the last 15 years, roughly 60% um, of the applicants have failed uh, that higher bar eligibility assessment. And CPS is trying to deliver a message here that the quality of principals is critical to improving the quality of student learning in our schools. This has also enabled us to work together with higher ed and public schools on principal supervision and assessment um, so that the things on which principals are assessed in the public schools, the things for which they are supervised, are directly aligned with our pre-service program because this is a partnership that's trying to prepare principals to succeed by the criteria of the public school system, and we've been able to help them develop those criteria over time. A second level of significance of our work uh, over the past decade has been um, uh, focusing on the importance of state policies to support uh, university district partnerships. Um, the, the data are really clear right now that, uh, that higher ed does not have a tradition of producing the principles our schools need, either in program funding or staffing. Of the 55 largest districts in Illinois, for example, since No Child Left Behind, the majority of those districts actually declined somewhat or substantially in student learning outcomes since No Child Left Behind, while Chicago led the rest of the state, number one in student improvement on standardized achievement tests at the elementary level throughout that exact same period, because we had already begun this aggressive uh, approach in Chicago uh, to developing principles in partnership with the higher ed and the school system. So I'll also say about that, I can't leave out the fact that a non-higher ed institution, namely New Leaders for New Schools, which has now been renamed New Leaders, was also a partner uh, in doing a full year internship with the public schools. And they also participated at the state policy level in passing a new state, um, what we did together, University of Illinois Chicago led this task force. Um, we actually created a new principal endorsement for the state um, that changed uh, that changed the principal endorsement law so that uh, it raised the bar for higher education and district partnership. Thanks, Dr. Tozer. And I'd like to just turn the conversation a little bit to your work. I know you have been for a number of years doing specific work to improve principal preparation and development in Illinois. What have you seen as the impact of the changes for educators and students in Chicago, particularly in Illinois overall, and what implications lessons learned can be taken from that work uh, for other governors and states interested in pursuing these changes? Yeah, it was because of our work in Chicago that we were asked to lead the state task force to change principal preparation laws in Illinois. So I'll start with Chicago because Chicago had a big head start on the rest of the state um, really by about a decade. Um, in, in CPS, uh, 
do leaders and UIC together have had a, a widely acknowledged impact on the leadership of the system, both from the numbers of new school leaders. These are two small, uh, highly intensive, but small programs, new leaders in UIC, rarely turning out more than 20 uh, graduates in the course of a year and sometimes fewer than 20. Um, but what we've done together over the last 15 years is new leaders in UIC have produced over 300 of the principals for Chicago Public Schools in a school system with just over 600 principals. So it's had a profound effect in terms of the numbers. In other words, our graduates do get hired in a highly competitive school system where local school councils, not the central office, for every school, local school councils hire the principals and, and they choose these principals who have had full year internships because these are the principals who really hit the ground running. So the impact of, of all of this leadership focus in CPS um, is partly record graduation rates like we've never seen before in the system. And this is sustained over, over the last 15 years, a little bit at a time, this isn't a blip. Um, and college attendance rates are the highest they've ever been. College scholarship levels are the highest they've ever been. And not only that, but um, the, uh, uh, Sean Reardon at Stanford recently produced a study showing that Chicago public schools in the top 5% of the country in elementary achievement growth grades three through eight, and again, sustained over a decade time. His study was less than a decade. We know from our own data that um, that this growth was sustained over uh, a decade. In Illinois, the progress has been slower. Um, there's a new book out that I would highly recommend for anybody that wants to understand the Illinois story. It's by Erica Hunt, Alicia Haller, and their colleagues. It's called Reforming Principal Preparation at the State Level. And it's a case study of what happened in Illinois over really uh, close to a 20-year period of slowly developing the understanding of what we needed to do. Now, the impact of the new state law is not yet clear because it wasn't until 2012 that it went into effect. But the new state law requires, this is, uh, makes Illinois pretty unique around the country, requires that no higher institution can provide principal preparation unless it's in partnership with a public school district. Um, another dimension that's required of these programs is the demonstration of selectivity of candidates because up until now, and in fact, this is really true nationwide, any teacher that wants a principal certificate can get one. And the fastest growing programs in America are completely online programs where you can get a principal certificate at home. The state law in Illinois, on the other hand, requires field-based learning as a prominent part of every single program. And it requires documenting the demonstration of impact on schools over time. The lessons for other states seem to me um, increasingly clear that we don't really have um, any other lever for improving student learning outcomes in schools that's more cost effective uh, than producing high quality school principals who know how to move the needle on student achievement in schools, uh, who know how to work with families, who know how to stay in schools instead of being part of the 50% of principals nationwide who leave their school after three years and so on. So the big lesson for me is if states want to improve the quality of student learning outcomes, they want to improve the quality of the number of graduates in their schools, they really need to look at school leadership as the most cost-effective lever that we now know of for accomplishing that. Thank you. And I want to just emphasize one thing from what you said to, to really pull out for our governor's education and advisors is you talked about the state context and seeing where those different 
players are who may not just be the governor, to really think about um, who are the key partners that you'll need in state and district leadership and where are the key levers for, for change um, to make that, that work be able to, to move forward. And that's really important to think about that holistic, holistic picture. So taking a step back and thinking about the uh, national policy level and where governors and states can ensure high quality principal preparation in, in, their, in their states, talk a little bit about the convening power, this unique ability that, that governors have uh, to bring multiple stakeholders around the table uh, to make change in a state. Um, where have you seen the, that convening power used and how has it been used to bring especially closer partnerships between higher education and school districts on principal preparation and development? There are a number of states that have really demonstrated um, that convening power that, that you're referencing here. The first thing that has to be in place is that state leadership, particularly governors, but state legislators as well, need to understand the cost, effect, cost effectiveness of school leadership as a lever for school improvement. A very small investment here. Um, can produce enormous dividends uh, in ways that other large investments can't even come close to touching. Um, so the first point is for really understanding the power of school leadership as a cost-effective lever. The second thing, um, and we see this in states like Illinois, but also in Tennessee, also in Arkansas, North Carolina, other places that you can see documented very well on the Wallace Foundation website, um, where state agencies are bringing together key constituencies from, from within the state who both produce and consume principles. That, that is to say, the producers of principles right now are institutions of higher ed. They're largely, they're, it's colleges of ed, and new leaders who, um, as, a, as an organization, who produce principles. And those who consume these principles are the districts. Um, and what is possible for such a convening is to bring together the producers and the consumers together with all the other stakeholders who really have a vested interest in high quality schools. Um, and, and that includes the business community, the funding community. I mean, funders are keen to make a difference in student learning outcomes parent groups and professional associations of various kinds. And what we did in Illinois was to bring together teachers unions, school boards associations, special education associations, early childhood, everybody who really has a stake in what's the quality of school leadership out there, brought them together and, and over a period of less than a year, uh, we were able to reach a consensus that, that we really need to improve how we do school leadership in Illinois. And um, there are two national studies, in fact, one by the Wallace Foundation and one by the University Council on Education Administration, both of which point toward um, the kind of state policies that can make a difference in student learning outcomes in schools. And governors and, and state legislatures have the, have the ability to actually bring together these groups. And the groups can do two basic things that makes a difference. I mean, we, we created a, a legislative task force in Illinois, for example, and the first thing we did was examine what the best policies and practices are in the field today and try to learn from those. And the second thing to do is to recommend what it would take to accomplish legislatively and otherwise, because there are certain things that you can accomplish to improve school leadership policy without legislation. You could do it through your state education agency and so on. Other things do require legislation.
but building that statewide consensus among stakeholders uh, becomes very powerful because legislators actually want to make a positive difference. And, and if, uh, if they get various constituencies, teachers unions, principal associations, district leaders, and so on, saying to them, hey, this is what we need to do, state legislators uh, are usually very willing to, uh, to consider, as Wallace Foundation's website shows, very willing to consider new ways of going about this work. Thank you, and you mentioned the, the Wallace Foundation, and I know that a specific focus uh, area of theirs and your own work has been university principal preparation partnerships across the country. If you could talk a little bit about uh, current examples of innovative principal preparation uh, programs and again how governors and state policymakers can create those conditions for empowering higher education and districts to partner on uh, developing and supporting effective principals and school leaders. Wallace Foundation is particularly valuable to think about partly because they've been in this space for almost 20 years now. Maybe it's a full 20 years and, and they've really um, shown a lot of leadership both in terms of affecting um, state policy, but also district and higher ed policy. And secondly, they uh, make sure that studies are conducted to preserve what they're finding and to preserve what districts and higher ed is finding on their website. So they have this really remarkable resource. And two kinds of models come out of Wallace Foundation work. One is state policy models. How do different policy how do different states like Tennessee and Kentucky and Illinois that are showing uh, sort of next generation approaches, how do these states um, try to support principal development on the ground? And what on the ground means is in higher ed institutions in partnership with public school districts. And so um, there not only has Wallace Foundation produced studies of different kinds of models about which I'll say more in a moment, but also what we see is that other researchers in the field like Linda Darling Hammond and Steve Davis uh, or the Learning Policy Institute at Stanford um, have tried to conduct a series of case studies over the years um, uh, of what it looks like to really develop strong principal preparation programs. Researcher Terry Orr, O-R-R, has also um, done a nice job at looking at what does it look like for a next generation program that's really grounded in student learning outcomes in public schools, that's really grounded in high quality field experience, that's grounded in high selection of candidates who come into the program in the first place instead of a completely open door policy to the candidates. Um, what you'll find by looking at these studies of individual programs, not state policies, but individual next generation programs, is a variety of different approaches. There are district driven models like Gwinnett County, Georgia, in partnership with higher ed. Long Beach uh, has, a, has a tremendous program with Long Beach State University. Um, uh, Denver uh, has a relationship with Denver University. Um, of course, our relationship with Chicago Public Schools. All these models look a little different from each other. But what they're showing us is that we can have an impact on student learning outcomes in school districts by working together with school districts. Thank you, Dr. Schozer. And you mentioned a number of innovative examples of, of how states are doing this work and, and uh, university principal preparation part, uh, programs across the country. As we look a little bit at Every Student Succeeds Act, we hear a lot about the ESSA, so to speak, opportunity. What do you see as the opportunity um, as part of the Every Student Succeeds Act to develop and support principals and school leaders? How have states done so, and particularly 
innovative ways. It, it's too soon uh, to be to count our chickens on ESSA. Um, and just as No Child Left Behind uh, had carried with it the promise of improved student outcomes, and yet we found that in many states it didn't produce improved student learning outcomes. As I say, in Illinois, um, uh, the majority of the 55 largest districts in the state actually lost ground on student achievement since No Child Left Behind. So anytime you have a really significant federal initiative like this, what's going to matter is what happens on the ground. And on the ground in this case is, is state policy as well as the implementation of policy at the district and the higher ed level. Wallace Foundation, again, is, is taking some leadership here. Um, right now, they've convened a group of 10 states as part of an ESSA leadership learning community, which in my view is really a smart thing to do. They brought together Maryland, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Wisconsin. We have West Coast, East Coast, Southern, uh, Northern, Midwestern states involved in this. Um, and essentially, they're trying to explore together, how do we use ESSA resources to make a difference in the quality of school leadership? Um, Wallace Foundation recommend, recommends as one example of a state making progress, Tennessee's Leadership for Equity playbook. Uh, Minnesota is developing learning networks to support high need schools in partnering with local communities to tackle specific uh, inequities. Um, Wallace reports that, um, that there's a lot of movement nationwide. 48 states have adopted or adapted voluntary national leader standards, and those leadership standards continue to evolve. As recently as 2015, we've seen new leadership standards, and, and not all states have, have adopted those, but we see good progress toward those new those newest leadership standards that the Council of Chief State School Officers developed in 2015. The Education Commission of the States uh, reports that in, uh, in 2017, for example, 37 states introduced or passed legislation related to school leadership. So there's a lot going on. Um, it, I think it's early to be optimistic about this. Um, we have ways of, uh, of undermining our own best intentions uh, when it comes time to trying to take initiatives to scale. Uh, and this is partly why, for me, the most powerful thing states can do is focus on how they can support local district initiatives together with higher education um, to make a difference in how school leaders are produced. Because in the long run, those school leaders uh, are the ones responsible for improvement um, in each, each school. So, Chicago Public Schools developed a mantra, um, you know, 20 years ago, which was that um, the school is the unit of change and the principal is the leader of that change. And that has served us really well in Chicago, and it continues to be something that animates our efforts to continuously improve uh, after this point. Really appreciate that. And I want to take a step back and, and talk a little more generally for a governor or a state interested in moving work forward on initiative in this area, what advice would you give them prior to getting started? I mentioned a, um, a three-part formula that I took from Ken Leithwood. Um, Leithwood says, look, what, he's been saying this for 20 years. He said, what good, what good principles do is they lead vision, they lead people, and they lead systems. Um, I want to say this is really true for governors and other political leaders in a state, too. My advice is that political leaders are in a position to make a really profound difference on student learning 
if A, they recognize school leadership improvement as the most cost-effective lever that we now have available for improving student learning outcomes. The second thing that it's important for um, political leaders, including governors, to recognize is that they are in a position to bring the right people to the table. You can't expect governors to understand what needs to be done. That's not their job. That's not their expertise. But they can bring the right people to the table to develop a leadership vision for the state going forward. So if the idea is that good leaders lead vision, they lead people, and they lead systems, what this means is you can bring the right people together to form a leadership vision for the state and then to craft a plan that you get the right constituency at the table, they can together craft a plan for achieving that vision that puts the right systems in place that's going to develop the people to achieve that vision, to develop the people that schools deserve. This is not going to happen without bringing the people to the table. There's no formula that you can put in place that Illinois did that's going to work in California, for example. You really need to bring the people who are most involved with implementing change to the table to design that change. And governors are in a position to make that happen. Thank you. And last question, looking forward, where do you see your work in the field heading next? What are you most excited about? I said earlier that um, a year, almost a year ago now, I stepped down from my academic position because I want to. I'd been at the university for 40 years, and I really wanted to continue work in the policy arena. I think that we really we know enough now um, that we really need to take what we know and go to scale, um, state by state, district by district. We need to be doing school leadership better. And um, there's, a, to me, the most promising innovation in school research and practice comes out of the Carnegie, Founda Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching, um, uh, led by Tony Brike. Um, and it's captured in, in the term improvement science or improvement work. And um, Brike and Gomez, Luis Gomez and their colleagues together came out with a book called Improving Our Schools. Um, how America's schools can get better at getting better. And um, the, uh, it came out in 2015. And what's powerful about this is it helps us understand how schools as organizations, how districts as organizations can get very disciplined and structured about closing the inequity gaps that we face, not in one year, not in two years, but putting the systems in place so that over time, we can do what we've seen happen in Chicago over 15 years, which is a little bit at a time, year after year, continuous improvement that produces profound change. Their whole book, Learning to Improve, is about how to get structured and systemic about producing profound change. So I'm working with a number of school districts in Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin right now. At what does this look like at the school district level? And what, does, what role do school principals play in learning how to use the tools of continuous improvement or improvement science um, to actually produce better outcomes for their kids next year and the year after by putting the right systems for improvement in place. That's what I'm most excited about because I think it's gonna be with us for a long time to come. That's very exciting work. And we do plan on for, for the listeners on the line to bring some of that improvement science work into the Governor's Education Policy Advisors Institute that we're hosting this September. Uh, we think it'll be really important as an approach for governor's advisors to know about, about that work. 
Thanks, Dr. Tozer, for the great conversation and insights. Listeners, please note that all reports and resources discussed during the podcast will also be attached to the recording. Please look out for our next podcast with Devin Scott of the Education Commission of the States and visit the NGA Education webpage for this and future podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you.